0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. I want to take your attention tonight, if I can, by the help of the Lord, to the book of Romans... And we are going to look at a topical series out of the book of Romans, and we're going to begin tonight, and uh, we'll carry this on for a few weeks. And the title of this series tonight uh, is going to be Harmony, God's Plan for Community, God's Plan for Community. Community, And we're using this word that we are, uh, we are taking this word harmony, if you will, out of the New Living Translation, where in three times Paul's letter to Rome, he tells them to live in harmony or aim for harmony uh, or live in complete harmony. And it is so so uh, uh, greatly emphasized that we're going to see here, it it is completely... Uh, dominating the last five chapters of the book of Romans. So this would qualify tonight as a topical uh, study, but it is a little bit of an exegesis, verse by verse, if you will. We'll skip around here a little bit. And we want to put our focus on this. More than ever before, I think we are all acutely aware of how much we live in a world that is lacking in harmony and lacking in the ability to get along. And so while we see great things, there are good things taking place. I do want to remind you that the nature of news by default is negative. And so uh, if all you're doing is watching the news 24-7, you're sort of setting yourself up. Uh, to be a chicken little, if you will, or a, uh, uh, is, is everybody know what that is? Just a sort of the skies falling kind of situation because it's always negative. There are good things happening. I'm excited that there are good things happening around the world. And primarily, not only are there good things happening around the world, but mostly there are good things happening in God's church. And I am excited about that. Brother, uh, Pastor Matt. You had 17, is that right? Last night, 17 on their midweek connect group. Praise God for that. Amen. And so for those of you that don't know, starting a church in Monroe County, where we, don't, we are not aware of any other apostolic church, so praise God for that. So good things are happening, but a lot of times, unfortunately, those things don't make the news. However, uh, uh, this is a topic that was uh, so paramount to the New Testament church, and we see Paul talk about it many times throughout his epistles. So we're going to look at uh, tonight just these few chapters, And this is going to be a series because I have 22 main points. And uh, there's no way, if you've been around here a long time, that I can get through 22 main points on a Wednesday night. I do have some handouts, so I need a couple men if they would help me uh, maybe you could just mask up. And I've got some handouts here on the front seat. If I could get some volunteers just to run up here and uh, help me pass these out real quick. And we're going to give you a note here with scripture reference so you can write down these main points that Paul gives to us. If you don't want to hand out, that's okay tonight, but we do want to make those available to you. So we need the help of the Holy Ghost in these next few nights. And this is something that the Lord put on my heart, revealed to me, I guess, showed me, shared with me uh, a few days back. And I wrote it down just for myself, and then I really felt impressed to share it with the church if we can. So this is a personal study. This is a study that came out of my own personal private devotions. And a lot of times I'm ministering to you from I only minister from the wells that you can dig, but from my own personal devotions and I hope you're in the Word. The Word of God uh, is what I come to deliver to you tonight. Uh, In These next few nights, just the Word of God. So let the Word of God speak to you and talk to you and deal with your heart. So I am going to pretty much guarantee that some point in this study is going to cause you to cringe. Now, uh, or as Jesus would say, uh, he used that w- old word offense. He said, "I've come to bring offense." Um, in another place, he said, "Blessed are th- is he that is not offended in me." So he wasn't coming for the sake of offense but he was letting us know that when he presents his gospel, the way of Christ, it is going to be offensive to your flesh. How many can testify that the cross is offensive to our flesh? We thank God for the cross. We thank God for his grace and his salvation and his deliverance. But man, my flesh fights dying every day. And Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's offensive to our flesh because we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to have to die, but that's where we're at. And so at some point in here, Paul, literally he touches everything and it's so powerful. So I'm going to pray. I want to pray and I want to, I want to start here tonight with just a specific word of prayer that God's word would have a liberty in our heart because the power of the word of God thank God uh for preachers thank God for the word of God but the power of the word of God is when we open up our hearts And we say, yes, Lord, speak to me. And so that's that's got to be our approach tonight. So would you do that with me right now, right where you're sitting? Would you just bow your heads or lift your voice together with me? Let's just ask God's word to have his way in our heart. Lord, in Jesus' name, tonight I thank you, Lord, for your church. I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for our brothers and sisters here tonight. And I ask in these next few moments, in these next few days, as we cover this topic, I pray, Lord, that your word would have liberty in our heart. God, your word alone edifies and it strengthens and it builds if we will allow it. And so tonight, let me come with an open heart and an open mind and an open heart that you would speak into my life. God, the words of life, you alone have the words of life. God, there's nowhere else we could go but to your word in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And somebody say in Jesus' name, amen. Would you clap your hands into the Lord one more time tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Love the Word of God tonight. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're going to be getting here tonight. We're looking at, everybody has a handout that wants a handout, and maybe we can post these online, but this is just a simple handout with our scripture text we'll be sharing online, uh, on the screen, rather. And our main point. So we're going to begin here tonight. Three verses of scripture. I did not give this to you, Sister Monica. So don't, so don't worry about this. We'll come back to these so you don't have to put these on the screen. But three verses of scripture in the new living translation translate the KJV's uh, uh, transliteration into the word harmony. Now, the word harmony is not in the KJV, but as the New Living Translation attempts to put it into a modern vernacular, you know, as I've shared with you that this year, devotionally, I'm reading through the New Living Translation. I do not necessarily endorse the New Living Translation. Sometimes it is great at opening up things and explaining things, and in other times, it is actually changing the text, the original text of the Greek and Hebrew, so it can translate a different way, and so it's a a bad translation on other times. So I read it devotionally and I bounce back. Because of that, we're going to use the KJV tonight as our foundation. But I do think that it is is not a stretch to use the word harmony, to try to get at the concept that we all understand. In uh, chapter 12, Paul says, live in harmony with each other. In chapter 14, he says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church. And then in Romans 15 and 5, he says, may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other. So those three times in the New Living Translation were translated Harmony. I was reading through my morning devotion, and I took note of that after I saw it once. I saw it again, and then the third time, and I took note of that, reading through. Okay, what is Paul trying to say to us? What is he trying to tell us? He puts so much emphasis on living in harmony. In fact, as we read the book of Romans, we could go through his other epistles. Paul deals with us living in harmony as much, hear me now, as much as he deals with doctrine. I thank God for doctrine without truth. Truth is the thing as I preach Sunday. Truth is that belt that holds everything together. If you don't have truth, if you don't have doctrine, if you don't have right understanding, everything else will fall apart in your Christian walk, and your Christian experience. It's so important. It's so essential. I cannot talk about that enough. In the book of Acts, we are Pentecostals because we Acknowledge the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And we go to, what's, what's our verse that we go to all the time? Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, that is a response to a question. They asked the question, what must we do? What must we do? What shall we do? That was the question. And and when it says, when they asked that question, it says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Everybody know what I'm talking about? There in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. What was the this that they heard? Well, they heard this long sermon. They heard this great sermon by Peter. Peter was preaching. He was preaching about how this was that which was spoken by the by the prophet Joel. He was preaching. He talked about Moses. He talked about David. All of those things. But when he gets down to the end of his sermon, he says this. He says, now let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you have crucified is made both Lord and Christ, that he is both Lord of all and Christ. That was doctrine. That was the identity of Jesus Christ, the revelation that Jesus Christ was not just another man, another rabbi, another teacher, but that Jesus Christ was the great Almighty, the I am that I am, come down, Lord of all, made flesh, the Messiah that dwelt among us. And when they got the revelation of who he was, that's when they said, what must I do? So we understand the emphasis, the importance on doctrine. We go to that and we talk about that. And that sometimes becomes our candy stick. So appropriate and so right, uh, rightfully so, if you will. But it's interesting now that Paul talks about harmony as much as he talks about Doctrine. Is doctrine important? Absolutely. Without it, he talks about false prophets and false teachers coming in. All of these things. Peter talked about it. John talked about it. Other apostles would talk about it. But Paul talks about harmony as much as he talks about doctrine, which tells me that it was a real issue in the New Testament church. And as we live today, we are all human. I could say today that outside of my knowledge of God, probably one of the most difficult things. To work out or work through in life is your relationships in the world. I've heard people say the statement, you've heard the statement, there's no hurt like church hurt. How many people have been hurt in the church? Disappointed, upset. They were not expecting it. They were expecting to get hurt, let's say, out in the world. They were expecting it out there. But when they came into church and the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached, they were not expecting it there, but then it happened there. People get sideways. People get bent out of shape. You know, churches sometimes split over the littlest things. And sometimes it's hilarious, humorous, and tragic all at the same time because we all know the reality if you're if you're married in here tonight you you know you have experience you don't don't say amen don't nod your head don't raise your hand but you have experience getting into a little spat over something that was so ridiculous have you ever gotten to the point where it's so ridiculous you just start laughing You just start laughing with each other. That's a great moment when you both can just pause and start laughing and say, what are we doing? This is just absolutely absurd. This is absolutely ridiculous. But relational difficulties are a reality. And so Paul talks about it as much as he talks about doctrine. Now let's first establish the context in which he's writing. He's writing to the church at Rome. That's obvious, the book of Romans. He's writing to the church at Rome. But Rome is what? It's the seat of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is a polytheistic uh, culture, very secular culture, if you will. A godless, in a lot of ways, a godless... empire in in many ways. The Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans all had parallels in their gods and their deities. There was uh, extreme immorality to say that that's not a stretch. There was extreme immorality that was going on uh, in Rome. Rome was unique in that well, Greek was unique, and then Rome conquered them, and they carried that on, but the, the Greek empire and the Roman empire was unique in that it would conquer an area, but it would let that area retain its own religions and traditions as long as they were subservient. And so uh, it, it wasn't too concerned with certain things, so there was a lot of things that went. So you could go... Uh, into Rome, and you could see here Jewish people uh, living, you could see Christian people living, you could see all different types of people, but primarily it was a godless, a godless culture. And you say, how do you say it was a godless culture when they had so many gods? In fact, they had so many gods uh, that there was even times where they were afraid that they were missing out on a god. But if you go back and you look at the Egyptian empire, you look at the Greek empire, you look at the Roman empire, their gods, their plethora of gods were gods of convenience. And the way they operated and the way they worked, it was not some mythical revelation. But whoever was in charge, if they wanted to have something, if they wanted to do something, the way they would get people to do it is they wouldn't pass a law. They would just create another god. And you now had to pay tribute to that God. It was, it was an ingenious way to increase taxes, build wealth and other things. So there were gods. For everything. So ultimately their gods were self-serving. It was the antithesis of everything. And yet Paul is going to write to a church, a born again, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized church, sanctified, delivered. You can read about it in, in Corinth. Paul is actually writing this letter to the, uh, he's writing this letter to the Romans from the city of Corinth, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to all of those. It's for everyone. He's writing that while he is digging out a church, if you will, in the city of Corinth. Corinth was one of the most uh, immoral Places Paul was only there for a year and a half, but there was such a massive, incredible revival. And Paul writes to the Roman church, and he's talking about all this stuff. And so now in the midst of great problems going on in Corinth, Paul's writing about harmony, and he's admonishing them in Rome. So I could go into that a little bit more, but Paul spends as much time here as he does with doctrine. And so we have to ask the question, What is Paul's idea of harmony? Well, it's a great question. And he gives us in this passage 22 admonitions or 22 provocations or points about what harmony looks like. And that's what we want to look at because his idea here uh, uh, for living in harmony is not just some abstract thing that he's getting to, but he actually brings it down to the rubber meets the road kind of experience. So we're going to walk through these together. Now, I want to put this highlight at the very beginning, and that's this, that Paul's idea or solution for harmony always involves a personal relationship with people as individuals and not generalization stereotypes and dismissals. So, I want you to see this. As we go through these twenty two points, Paul is not giving generalizations. he's not He's not teaching you how to deal with stereo uh, uh, addressing uh, he's not stereotyping the issues. But every point is to be addressed or dealt with to an individual as a uh, uh, to a person, as an individual. So he sees the value of individuality. I'm going to tell you, I think that right there, that little observation is what is getting us in trouble in our culture and in our world. It's when we put generalizations and stereotypes on broad things. Because if we can generalize a group of people or we can uh, 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 make a stereotype of a group of people, especially a group of people that we see as other than, or somebody that's not us, somebody that we don't necessarily identify with. If we can generalize that, we can dehumanize it. We can devalue it a little bit. And what Paul's remedy is seeing people as individuals. When you're, It's hard to, to just make a broad pr- uh, uh, approach when you're looking at somebody in the face. When you see them eye to eye, when you realize that this is not just a group of person, but this is an individual that God created, that God manufactured, that God made, that God breathed in, that God has purpose for, that God loves, that, that is hurting or is confused and needs help. And so this is, this is an observation that we have here. So this really is a study in Romans chapter 12 through, uh, 16, and here we go. Now, I've taken 19 minutes to sort of set this up, but we're going to look through this here. I needed, to, I needed to take that time. Thank you for allowing me to take that time. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 9. So we're going to jump from verses to verse, but we're looking here at, at Paul's points for harmony. Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. Paul says here, he says, Let love be without dissimulation." Okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a word that we don't use a lot in our modern day vernacular. Let love be without dissimulation. Don't let it be fake. Don't let it just be something in word. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. If I was to read it to you in the New Living Translation, it says this, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Point number one is simply really Love them. That's what's lacking in our world. We have songs galore about love, but it's like there's a disconnect in what they're singing and what the real definition and what the real word means. Love. Don't just pretend to love them. Really love them. Today, my wife was playing Spotify for Luca. He got a trumpet. My dear sister bought him a trumpet. (laughs) Praise God. So he's been playing the trumpet all week. And my wife turns on soft music so he can play with that. And so this afternoon she put on, I think it was, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. And it was a nice, soft, Jesus Loves Me. I think it was C.C. Wine and singing it. And he was in his bedroom playing his trumpet. And then all of a sudden, she she put the search on Spotify. I don't have Spotify, but she has Spotify. And I think you search by sort of genre or word or whatever. You just put it in there, and it will play another song that goes along with that song. And so it'll daisy chain them all together. So he's in there playing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And then all of a sudden, a fast uh, uh, version of the song, John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith, uh, came on after that, and we were in the other room. I was finishing up my notes here, and she was at the kitchen, and we were like, I don't know how the connection there between Jesus Loves Me and John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith. I don't know what the disconnect was there, but AI, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, is running the world right now. You do realize that. AI is running Spotify, and there's a disconnect There is a disconnect in our world from what love really means. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't just pretend. Don't just use the words. Really love them. Don't just say you love them when you see them in church, but when you pass them in Walmart, you act like you don't know them. Really love them. When you see people have a compassion, take Delight in honoring each other. Let this be real. Let it be genuine in your heart. If this is not genuinely in your heart, you will not have harmony. Can I tell you, you will not have harmony in the home if love is just something you say, but it's not something that you live out. You can't just say, you can't just show up and say, I love you, and then disappear for days on end, weeks on end, and months on There has to be an understanding that you take delight in honoring someone else. Point one, really love them. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, a few verses later, verse 13. Look at what he says. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to Hospitality, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. The New Living Translation says this, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Somebody say ready. Be ready to help them. Always, I like this, be eager to practice hospitality. So number two, what's Paul saying? Practice help and hospitality. You want to live in harmony, practice hospitality. You want to, you want to have harmony. You want to aim for harmony. You want to have complete harmony in your life and in the church. Let there be help and hospitality. He said this, be ready to help someone else. Can I tell you, it is a wise thing for you as Christians. As Christians, when we live for God, we're not just Christian in word only, but we're Christian in our lifestyle, how we live it out. So when I put God first, it's not just me saying that. I don't just put God first when I come into the church house and lift my hands, but I put God first in every avenue of my life. That includes, that includes my time. It includes my finances as well. And Paul here saying, be ready to help them, have, have a readiness to help them. When you, when you put God first in everything, you are, you are prioritizing your life and you are leaving margin for God. You're leaving margin for God. You say, hey, I'm going to give the first 10% of all mine increase to the Lord because there's a promise. God said if I give him the 10%, he would bless the 90% as if I had kept the 100%, but I'm giving margin to God's kingdom. He said, hey, give me one day a week. I want you to give me one 24-hour period a week, and I want you to honor me with that. In the New Testament, we understood that he's not limited to one day a week but he has a whole day. He has everything, but there's still a principle that says, I'm going to give God, I'm going to give margin for my life. I'm going to give God margin in my prayer and in my, in my uh, Bible study. I'm going to give God margin for his input into my life. That's why you're here tonight on a midweek Bible study. You are given margin for God in your life. What Paul says here is don't just give margin to God, but also be ready to have margin in your life Hear me. For those that are around you. Is that all right? Okay. So we ought to have margin in our life for other people around us. Be ready to help somebody. Don't totally exhaust everything that you have. He told him in the Old Testament, he said, when you're gleaning your fields, he said, leave the corners. Don't pick up everything. He says, you're going through the field. You may not, you may miss some things, but just leave it there so that the strangers and the travelers and the foreigners that are coming through, they can have something left over that you've left behind for other people. Leave margin for other people. Can I tell you, in our, in our, uh, uh, our modern life, we, um, Schedule out everything, and then our time too often is dominated by selfish things. Can I tell you, it is a wonderful thing when you leave margin for other other people in your life. Be ready. And then he says, be eager, be eager to practice hospitality, hospitality. Be eager to practice hospitality. Now, what's he talking about specifically? He's talking about specifically within the body of Christ. Now, should you be uh, hospitable to all, all men? Absolutely. You help people? Absolutely. But there also comes a principle and a, a concept the Lord said at the alabaster box. He said, the poor you're going to have with you always. And this woman came to bring it for the Lord as a sacrifice to give it to the Lord. And so Paul tells us uh, in the New Testament, all throughout the book of Acts, it tells us that your responsibility is to other believers, There's a responsibility to other believers in the church. Be eager to practice hospitality. There ought to be something inside of you. How many are are blessed? How many are, thank God, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Man, I am blessed. I'm blessed of God. God has blessed me. I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. But by the grace and the mercy of God, And so I thank God for what he's done for me. And so there has to be a willingness and an eagerness to be ready to help somebody else out, help somebody that's in need. Hey, I want to serve somebody. Hey, one way, one of the greatest ways that you can practice hospitality, we see practice in the New Testament all the time, is sharing a table with somebody. Praise God. We don't get out of the book of Acts. And what were they doing? They were breaking bread from, what did it say? House to house. They were breaking bread from house to house. As our culture goes on, our modern society, we live in subdivisions with garages and we have air conditioning. Nobody keeps their windows open anymore. We have privacy fences. Nobody talks to anybody in the, anymore. The, the, the most private place that you can live in America is in, is in the middle of a city. One of the most lonely places you can live sometimes is in the middle in the city. And so we get in this culture, in this community. People get in their garage, get in their car, they back out, they never... Talk to anybody. They go to their workplace. They go work in their cubicle. They get back in the car. They come back home. They don't know anybody. I'm going to tell you one of the most powerful things you can do is to be able to invite people into your home. You say, well, I don't have a nice home. Well, that's all right. It doesn't matter. God's blessed you. There's no worry about that. To be able to share a table with somebody, maybe, maybe your home isn't a place that can be hospitable, but you can be willing to help one another and to love one another outside of the worship service. Can I get an amen? Amen. So practice, help, and hospitality. Number three, this is going to hurt you. This is going to hurt you. I'm just warning you. This one's going to hurt. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 14. Bless them which persecute you. Mm. Man, why couldn't we just had 21 points? Bless and curse not. This comes from a man who was a persecutor and now is persecuted. And he says, Bless them which persecute you. That is not our natural tendency. Nobody say amen here. <laughs> Nobody, no, okay, because we're all guilty. And we're just going to accept that and assume that for everybody here. But everybody has had somebody do them wrong, somebody come up against them, somebody try to marginalize them, everybody, some more than others, some in extreme cases. And here the Apostle Paul is one who went after the church. When I say went after, he stood by holding the coat of those that were stoning the first martyr Stephen in the church. Paul had the papers to drive them out of the synagogues and the cities. He went, took the time to go get the legal documents. He lobbied. He did the work to run them out to shut them down. We know the story would later go on. We, we know of, of the persecutions of martyrs that would take place later on in the very city of Rome. Paul says, bless them which persecute you. I don't know, but... I, If you've ever seen the Colosseum, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty large, like pretty much anywhere you are at in the city of Rome, you're going to be able to see the Colosseum that place. That's the place where they would bring Christians in and they would martyr them. And Paul says, bless them, which persecute you, bless and curse not. Why wouldn't Paul say that? Why would Paul say that? Shouldn't you have a right to stand up? Why would those Christians willingly go before and not recant when they know that lions perhaps would be the end of their faith? Can we truly comprehend that? I say in 2020, no, we cannot comprehend what it's like to say, I'm going to church this Sunday and I know it may cost me my life. Now, other people around the world, may very well. We're going to have a missionary with us on October. In October, we will not be able to live stream because of the place that he serves and the people that right now are are being uh, Persecuted, lives being taken for being a Christian. And you will not want to miss that Sunday. That's going to be an incredible Sunday. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to live stream that service. But we in America do not, we do not know what it means. We really can't comprehend. I cannot fathom what that is like. And yet Paul says bless them. Now, that does not happen in your flesh. That does not happen in your humanity. The only way that happens is for you to have, number one, the Holy Ghost in your heart, but number two, a revelation of of who God is and who everyone else is. Paul, standing by as a persecutor, is telling the church, don't persecute them, don't curse them, don't write them off, but bless them. Could it be, amen, that as the day goes forward, if we really are at the end, who knows, but what persecution could befall us here in America, I wonder how Many persecutors and executors are going to convert because of the faith that they see in the Christian church. It was the centurion that held the orders, that held the command, that would carry out, amen, the execution of our Lord and Savior that would stand by on that fateful hour when Jesus Christ would give up the ghost, and he would see everything being done to him, and yet he was without sin he did not swear there was not one curse word can you imagine that centurion had carried out many executions of crucifixion before and all of them had been with reviling and cussing and swearing and cursing but yet here comes a man that as the nails are driven he does not cry out in swearing he does not cry out cursing but rather he says father forgive them for for they know not what they do. You go to Stephen, and as they're stoning him to death, Stephen is praying for their souls. The centurion stands by after it's done, and he says, Surely, truly, this was the Son of God. You know what he was saying? Truly, this was the I Am that I Am. Truly, this was the Messiah. And Paul says, Don't curse them, that, but bless them. Bless them. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have to pray through on this one sometimes. Come on. Sometimes I got to pray through on this one. God is not saying you're not being persecuted. He's not saying it does not matter. He's not saying he does not know. Amen. But he's saying don't let the hatred that they are casting on you, don't let it get in your spirit because I saved you. I changed you. I delivered you and you are my child. Hallelujah. 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 Harmony is not the fruit of this world. Harmony is not the fruit of this earth is only the fruit of God. And you say, well, I've been done wrong. I'm going to tell you, but if you let that get in your spirit, you now are victim of the very thing. You now are victim of the very thing that you've been standing against and you become the very thing. So don't curse, but bless, bless and curse not. Don't let it get a hold of your spirit. Don't let it get a hold of your heart. I'm going to tell you, that's where we're living in this world today. There's so, yes, are there offenses? Are there evil things? Absolutely. Absolutely. But don't let that get in your spirit. Amen. Amen. This is good stuff. Amen. If you've made it to point three and you haven't repented yet, well, there's always a point four. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Condescend to men of low estate. Let's look at it in the New Living Translation. It says this, live in harmony with each other. Do not or don't be too proud to enjoy the company of of ordinary people. Number four is this enjoy the company of saints. Enjoy the company of saints. Pride separates, humility welcomes. Pride separates, humility welcomes. We're all here today because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're all here today because of the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. We're all here today not because of our earthly heritage. We're not here today because of our earthly status dispositions. We are only brought together because of the grace and the mercy and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Irrespective of age, irrespective of of, uh, uh, social class, irrespective of finance, irrespective of intellect, irrespective of culture, of language, of the color of our skin, none of that, amen, ought to separate. But humility welcomes us. And what Paul says is be of the same mind toward one another. Live in harmony with each other. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Let there be something inside of you that says... I like the way the New Living Translation... Now, it's taking liberty with the translation. But it says, enjoy the company of ordinary people. Maybe there's nothing spectacular on the surface that you see... But Paul admonishes us to enjoy the company. Now, that's a, that, that is something for him to say that. And I'm going to tell you, in, you can have company and not enjoy it. Paul didn't say have company. He didn't say keep company. He said enjoy company. Now, that takes a lot more work because now we got to lay down our prides and we've got to lay down all of our differences and now I've got to I've got to respect I've got to look deep I've got to find something sometimes maybe you you got to look harder at, at other times because somebody so different, but I got to find something that I enjoy wow you know what you know what I like about you I love the fact that you' I love your praise I love your worship I love your smile I, he's talking about enjoying who they are in Christ Jesus. Enjoy. Don't let there be jealousy. Don't let there be things that come in and separate, but welcome. Man, maybe, maybe they do something that you don't do. And, you know, we're all different in the kingdom of God. And, and if we're not careful, difference can cause annoyance. But if we understand that our difference is not a drag, but it's a blessing, hey, I can enjoy somebody who's different than me. So I, the work of enjoying is not on them. The work of enjoying is on me. I'm glad you're here today. You, 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 you may, I'm just facetiously saying this, right? But you may stink. You may, there may be things about you that are difficult, that are hard. But when we set up to come to church, we're coming together. There are things that, Hey, you're here. And that's an encouragement to me. I'm here. I'm not better than you. We're all saved by grace. We're all saved by the blessing of the Lord. Come on. Is this all right? Amen, amen, amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. So I've got to enjoy the company of saints. Pride separates, but humility welcomes. Number five, and we'll finish this verse. Number five, verse 16, he ends it. Be not wise in your own conceits. Now, this is a little, this is gonna help you be able to enjoy company a little bit better. Be not wise in your own conceits. Look at what the last phrase in the New Living Translation says this, and don't think you know it all. Amen. Enjoy your company and don't think you know it all. You don't know it all. Number five, don't be a know-it-all don't be a know-it-all. No one likes a know-it-all. No one likes a know-it-all. Now, I have some friends who know a whole lot. And it's really awesome to have them on speed dial and be able to say, "Hey, I need your help. Tell me, tell me that I have I have some friends that have uh encyclopedic memory. It is it is Really unreal. I, I don't even think they're human. It's crazy. And I love that. I love being able to call them and say, hey, uh, I, I need to know this. Yeah, you're going to find that in this series, probably this volume, and it's going to be around page. And I'm like, you're ridiculous. This is just absolutely crazy. And then I go and I, I check them, and, and they're right. And I'm like, how in the world did they know that? You know, it's not possible. People that have photographic memory that can just look at something and, man, retain things. I can't even remember what I preached last Sunday, you know? But don't be a know-it-all. We like people who know everything, but we don't like a know-it-all. You know what I'm saying? Okay? The truth is this. You do not know everything. (laughs) Folks, this is just, this is high-dollar preaching tonight. I mean, this is like... The reality is everyone knows something you don't. Everyone knows something you don't. Maybe less. Maybe they know less than you, but there is still something they know that you don't know. And if they're in the body of Christ, that can be your greatest blessing. We cannot devalue others and we cannot dismiss others, when we never let someone else speak, when we always talk over or through someone, when we never ask someone their input, when we never think about someone else, we assume that we know it all, and we could be missing our greatest blessing. It never ceases to amaze me in the church you can walk into a church. We, we, we traveled for over eight years and others have traveled for a lot longer. I was, grew up in a church that was quite large and it was amazing that lived my whole life and know people by face. And I made a point to try to know everybody, but it's still hard to know everybody's name. And then when you sit down with someone and you find out their story and you find out their testimony, sometimes it's shocking. I would have never guessed. I would have never known. Wow. You went through that experience. You walked through that experience. I'm going to tell you, sometimes we don't realize the gold mines that are sitting in the pew next to us because everyone knows something that we don't know they 've walked through a valley if they're still here they've walked through a valley they they've stood in the fire they they've weathered the storm they've found out something about God they've found something that kept them they found something to hold on to they found something amen that, that they've worked through something they 've lived through something they've endured something they've fought battles and they've been back to the altar so many times there's something there. And Paul's telling us, don't be wise in your own conceit. Don't come into the room. Don't walk in there and think, well, bless God, because I've done this or I've done that, that I've missed out. The Lord says, when you get to heaven, you're going to be shocked. Because sometimes we think it's the fanfare, the ones on the stage, the one that's preaching, the one that's singing. They're the ones that are going to have the high places in heaven. But sometimes it's those silent, Prayer warriors that just are faithful, that are just there, that just keep on keeping on. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the body of Christ. And I'm thankful for each and every one. I don't want to be in a place where I think that I know something more than someone else. Paul said, Live in harmony. He said, Let us aim for harmony in the church. Would you stand together with me tonight? Amen. We made it through five points, and so we only have about 17 more to go. But this is good. This is good stuff. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And I thank God for His Word. I'm going to tell you probably almost on every single point, if I could just be totally transparent and honest, probably I have been an offender on every single point at some point in my life. So being an offender is not the issue. It's it's being willing to say, Lord, here I am, change me. If this was not issues in the church, Paul would have never had to talk about them. He would have never had to address them, but he talked about them. So maybe I've made mistakes. Maybe I've done things wrong. Maybe I did treat somebody that way. And I love how Paul does it because he doesn't just generalize things, but he brings it down and he makes it personal. See people as individuals, see them as people within the church. It's not just a group of people. It's not just a family, but that's an individual. That's a soul. Amen. Amen. Look around the room, if you will, for a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but just look around the room. Look around. I know we have, we had a few, a bunch of the balcony, but they went to youth class and, and I know we have others. And there's a lot of people that are not represented here tonight. There's a lot of people that are online or are making their way in, but how many people are there in the church house that you don't know? Maybe you don't even know their name. Maybe, maybe you've never talked to them before. Maybe you've never paused and, and walked over and said hello. We've got to be careful that we're not so quick to just come in and come out, that we don't ever pause and take time to know somebody or meet somebody. Amen. There could be somebody that needs your prayer. Maybe it's just a simple word of encouragement, but I promise you this, at some point in life, you're going to need their prayer and you're going to need their encouragement. I try to make it back to the door as much as possible. Sometimes it's difficult and it's hard just to be able to greet people and say hi and just have that human contact because there's one thing we've learned in COVID. We need that human interaction. It's not the same being on live stream, but it's amazing when you see sometimes guests will even come, and they'll come and they'll linger and they'll wander around and they'll, they'll stand or they'll walk slowly And when you're in a place and you don't know anybody and you don't know anything, sometimes you walk You walk out, I don't know anybody. It'd be awkward for me just to sit in the room and stay. And so I'm going to walk out the doors. Maybe they walk a little bit slow. Maybe they walk fast. Maybe whatever. But there's probably no one that is venturing into a live in-person service right now during this season that's not going to be open to God-fearing, loving human contact. And help me, God, to see others as individuals and to see them with eyes. It's not just a parking lot. It's not just a seat. It's a soul. And it's your soul. It's your children. Can you lift your hands with me tonight? God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your love. God, that reached down and saved me. I thank you for your grace and mercy that you extend to us so often. I pray today, Lord, that the truth of your word would work in us. God, we are wanting a revival. A revival in our heart, God, and a revival in our community. We want to be a part of the kingdom of God, and I pray that you would help us, God, to adhere to the simple, practical principles that Paul gives us in his epistles. Help us, God, to be willing to change, to have love in our hearts, to not just pretend, but to truly have love in our hearts, God, for others. And let it begin right here in the church. Let it begin in the body of Christ. Let it begin in our homes and our families and our marriages and our relationships. And I pray this tonight, God, in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody just lift it up. To the...